Are you confused by what your cholesterol levels really say about your health? Don't you wish someone could just spell it out in simple, easy-to-understand language and tell you what, if anything, you need to do about your cholesterol? Good news! That's precisely what you get from the controversial new Victory Belt publishing book, Cholesterol Clarity. What the HDL is wrong with my numbers? Featuring prominent low-carb health blogger and podcaster Jimmy Moore, along with medical researcher and practitioner Dr. Eric Westman, this is arguably one of the most unique books you'll ever read on this subject. Featuring exclusive interviews with 29 of the world's top experts from various fields to give you the lowdown on cholesterol. These experts include Dr. William Davis, Dr. Robert Lustig, Dr. Chris Masterjohn, Dr. Ufi Ravenskoff, Mark Sisson, Gary Taubes, and more. You won't find this kind of comprehensive, cutting-edge, expert-driven cholesterol information all in one place anywhere else. Are you ready to find out what the HDL is wrong with your numbers? Get Cholesterol Clarity, available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and other major booksellers. Visit CholesterolClarity.com for more information. You're listening to Low Carb Conversations with Jimmy Moore and Friends. Visit our website, lowcarbconversations.com. Pull up a chair, grab a cup of coffee, and let's talk. Hey, it's episode 88 of Low Carb Conversations with Jimmy Moore and Friends. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Moore, along with the beautiful and talented, the lovely, the giver a big hand. Her name is Dietitian Cassie. Oh, thanks for the nice intro, Jimmy. It's Dietitian Cassie and the guys today. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie and the dudes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll introduce them in a couple minutes. Absolutely. But I sent you this picture on Twitter this week, uh, and I, I thought you were going to like keel over from how disgusted you were at this. It was a reader. She was in the hospital with her father-in-law, and she texted me. I don't know how she got my number, but she texted me this picture of her father-in-law's hospital meal after he suffered a mini stroke. And I'm looking at the picture and we'll definitely put a picture, uh, the, the picture on lowcarbconversations.com in the show notes for this episode. But it was Cheerios, low-fat milk, decaffeinated coffee with fake creamer, a slice of white toast with no butter on it, uh, looks like some jam, maybe a little bit of margarine, and some 100% orange juice. This is what they're feeding this in the is. hospital? And that's the problem, is that this is so typical. And actually following up our podcast from last week, when we talked all about cholesterol, and I talked about how my dad had a double bypass surgery. Well, you know, when he was in the hospital for his heart recovering, same thing. This is the kind of stuff they give you, just like you call it, Jimmy, garbage. I mean, it's all carbs, Cheerios and toast and yeah. orange juice and whatever else it is, milk or jello or something like that. It's, it's all carbs. I mean, where is the protein? Where is the healthy fat that your body needs to help it heal? Yeah, and now you worked in a hospital uh, mm -hmm. not that long ago. Uh, did you see these kind of meals on a regular basis for, I guess, anybody? Yeah, all the time, mm. all the time, yep. And, you know, that's that's typical, you know, conventional wisdom right there. I mean, someone who's got a heart problem, you tell them low fat, you tell them they need margarine and not butter, and yeah. you give them the, you know, sugar-free jello and all of that kind of crap. So this picture, I think it speaks, you know, a Volumes. lot of words because yeah. this is just very, very typical. 
Well, and I'm sure they're feeding this same kind of a meal to diabetics, which would be even mm-hmm. more egregious. Mm-hmm. The very foods that cause the increase in blood sugars and require that insulin response, that's what they're feeding them. Yeah, this is criminal. It, it's, it's not crazy anymore. It's just downright criminal. I agree. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I, yeah. things like that just, oh, it makes me so mad. And I think we're, we're getting somewhere. And then you see pictures like that. It's like, oh, we need so much more needs to change. But cholesterol clarity, I think, is, gonna, is helping to clarify a lot of those types of problems. So hopefully yeah. we're getting the word out there. We're working on it just a little bit at a time. And uh, thankfully, the book's done very well. It's been number one in yeah. hot new releases of nutrition on Amazon, literally around the world. I was shocked uh, you know, America, yeah, and Canada, but it was also in France, Germany, um, and also, um, this one shocked me, Japan, Amazon Japan. It was the wow. number one hot new release in nutrition. I'm going, wait a minute, Japan, isn't that where they have the carbs? And you know, we think that, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's exciting. And I think um, I was listening to our podcast from last week, and I loved it. We were just talking so much about how the information that we're given to be healthy is the complete opposite of what we actually need to be healthy. And that's one of the reasons why your book is already doing and going to continue to do so well, because this is information that I think I think people are kind of surprised to read it. But then it makes so much sense that they keep reading. And then, you know, it, it makes sense. And that's it kind of just explains why we're at where we're at right now. Absolutely. That's why we have this show because we need an outlet for getting that good message out there. And we're so thrilled to have two really awesome dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's Cassie and the dudes today uh, <laughs> uh, joining us. The first one is a good friend of mine. I met him at Paleo FX. His name is Evan Brand. He's one of our fellow podcasters from the Not Just Paleo podcast. Uh, I've been privileged to be a guest on there and talking about cholesterol clarity recently. So now we're really uh, glad to have you here today. Evan Brand, welcome. Hey, Jimmy. Thanks. And uh, hi, Cassie. It's awesome to be back with both of you all since you all came on my show. I'm glad the thing has come full circle. Always, brother. Always. I sure do. So, Evan, one thing I love about you is that you don't just focus on the food aspect of being healthy, but that you talk about all the other detrimental things that are like part of our 21st century lifestyle, like artificial light and stress and that holistic, natural approach you have to just achieving optimal health. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. You know, we look at food and we realize that some people still have problems even after they change their diet. And then you realize that they can't fall asleep or they go to bed at 4 a.m. and they're up watching TV all night, exposing themselves to the TV. And there's just so many other factors that play in that we kind of skip over or just glaze over because we're so focused on food that we kind of miss out on things. So, Evan, how did you get into this whole paleo uh, way of, of things? Were you having a health problem or a weight problem in your own life? Well, I guess I consider myself kind of an undiagnosed uh, celiac or undiagnosed irritable bowel syndrome. I just had horrible testing results, by the way, this past week, just to test uh, pasta or just to test some form of gluten. And it did not end well, you could imagine. But uh, it started in about 2009, I'd say. I just wanted to start building up muscle. And what's the way to do that? Well, everybody on the bodybuilding forums knew that you just needed higher protein, higher fat, ton of chicken, just a ton of meat. So I just started basically 
kind of migrating to the paleo diet without even knowing that it had a title to it. Yeah. And then I guess sometime that year I realized, whoa, this way of eating has a name. That's that's weird. Eating real food has a yeah. like a tribe behind it. This is crazy. Okay, <laughs> I'm down with that. And so, is, uh, isn't that, it funny? We have to call it real food to distinguish from what they call food out there and most of the major food supply. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sick. It really is. But yeah, so that's uh, I found the tribe and Jen, I wanted to start a podcast just because I love talking to people so much and I'm just so passionate about this. And I'm, I look around at all the people that are older and a lot bigger than me and I'm just like, man, I have to try to make my dent in this. So how do I do it? So then that's when I started the the blog, not just paleo and started the podcast and found cool people like you all that are smart and that are passionate as well. So, I mean, now here we are a couple, couple years later. Cool. So what's your website? Not just paleo.com. Awesome. So what are we going to say, Cassie? Well, I was going to say, I think he's also out there on Facebook and Twitter, not just paleo and the YouTube, YouTube channel, not just paleo. Yeah. He's done some good videos at paleo FX this year. Um, you were out there kind of doing on the man on the street kind of <laughs> interviews. You were, you were really good at that. Uh, and, and I applaud you, Evan. Oh, well, thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, it's a work in progress. You know, I'm just trying to slowly get the visual aspect out. Some people learn better visually. Yeah. Some people listening to the podcast, they learn better. So I'm just trying to hit all aspects just to get information out. Eat butter, please. You know, I hear you, brother. <laughs> good message. <laughs> So, Cassie, why don't you introduce our second guest friend today? Yeah, so our second guest friend, he also has his own podcast, Eat Well, Move Well, and him and his wife are authors of several books, their latest book, The Real Food Reset, which thank you very much for sending me a copy of when it was published. We're talking to Roland Denzel. Roland, Roland, Roland. Roland. (laughs) He's a former fat guy who was overweight all of his life before getting fit 11 years ago and keeping all the weight off since. That's what Roland says. And it's really, really exciting to have you with us today, Roland. Thanks for having me. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about your journey and how you got into being a nutrition and fat loss coach and personal trainer and kettlebell sport competitor and everything right now? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I started off, I'm, I'm 46, and until I was about 35, I was you know, chubby most of my life and um, had some periods where I would, could legitimately say I was right, like fat, fat. So I remember being at one point uh, two, 295 pounds <clears throat> and uh, desperate to avoid any cameras. I wish I, I wish I could go back in time and take some pictures so I would have some really good befores, but most of my befores are like from the 260, 275 uh, range. But, you know, one day... Um, about 11 years ago, um, my, I was walking, my daughter, who uh, was like five or six at the time, asked me to, to grab her a glass of water. And I went downstairs and came back up. And she said, um, Dad, you didn't have to run. I said, oh, I didn't really run. I just went down the stairs and came back up. And I realized how bad I was huffing and puffing. And I sort of decided really that night to sort of sort of relook at my life and like where my priorities were and make sure that I was going to be there uh, for my kids. So uh, over, you know, over time, I immediately started um, eating less and moving more and eating less and moving more. And, it, you know, it sort of worked. And um, but, but it sure was a pain in the butt. Yeah. To, to do that. So over the years, I sort of uh, sort of developed my own, I guess, my own style of, of eating and sort of focusing more on, 
on nutrition versus just calories. And uh, eventually got to the point where I really valued the, the quality of food and you know, the, the, the foods that I'm putting in my body instead of just the, you know, the energy of the food that are going to your body. Mm-hmm. And eventually I found that I was pretty, I'm pretty stable. I mean, it's, it, it's been, you know, I've gone for, for years without, uh, without having to really think about it. Like the times of stress were like when I was working on my first book, I didn't have much time to really concentrate and go into the gym or, you know, what I was eating as much. So I just sort of relaxed and went to the gym when I could and ate the, the right foods. And lo and behold, two years later, I was still the same weight. So mm. apparently uh, I, I found, found what it takes. Yeah. I love that journey. That's really great. Thanks for sharing your story and being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, I think we have some really awesome health headlines to talk about. No, not about cholesterol today. We did that last (laughs) week, but uh, we got some really good ones. And these first two, uh, if you've not heard about the Kerry Gold controversy, we're going to talk all about that to start today. The first uh, health headline, why I stopped buying Kerry Gold Butter was on the HopeCentric.com website. You might have heard this kind of controversy about, uh, well, Kerry Gold Butter is good, but they use GMO. And so some people are like, well, if they use GMO, then, you know, why are we consuming this? And then there's others in the second column, Kerry Gold Butter to buy or not, that, that say, you know what, I think we're getting a little nitpicky here if we're demanding that every single product that we buy be 100% pristine across the board. Now, I can tell you, I contacted the Kerry Gold people, uh, Cassie, uh, for an interview for the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show to talk about this. And they had a representative contact me and they said, you know, what are you going to ask? I said, I don't really know. I just want to talk to somebody. And (laughs) they've never gotten back with me. So, Hmm. you know, believe what that is whatever in your mind, whatever you want to interpret that to mean. But uh, I continue to use Kerrygold butter personally. I'll, I'll tell you that, um, that I feel like it is miles better than most of the butter that's served out there and definitely better than margarine. Um, and if that's all you have access to, you don't have access to other quality butters, I, th- I still think you're going to get a whole heck of a lot more nutrition out of a butter that 3% of the cow's life, he was fed some GMO feed, and 97% of his life, he's grass-fed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it kind of depends how strict you really want to be. Like in the first article written by someone named Nicole, you know, she says that Kerrygold butter is a deal breaker because, you know, the fact that it's not 100% grass fed, that they use GMOs because she says they just don't eat soy. And I totally respect that point of view. But then I also love how in the second article, the author, Kristen, she breaks it down and she says, she says, I'm not a math whiz, but from simple calculation, um, you know, this means that the cows are supplemented um, with not consuming grass only right. 44 days a year. And she says, that's pretty awesome. So she talks about how she's comfortable with Kerrygold disclosing that, you know, 3% of the annual feed for their cow, you know, cows may contain um, GMOs. That's and right. I think I probably lean a little bit more towards Kristen's side of it because I still use Kerrygold butter. Yeah, I, I think we can get to the point, Evan, where we feel like we have to be so perfectionist and demand that on other people, forgetting that most people out there, you go to a grocery store, we're uh, in, in the in the butter section, 
what's mostly comprising that section? It's margarine and fake butters, and I can't believe it's not butter, but yes, I can. Those kind of products are dominating our, our, our food shelves. Why are we nitpicking about a butter that may have 3% of its life um, you know, fed on GMO? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's really it's really sick. I went to a couple different grocery stores. You all know I just moved down to Austin, Texas, so I've been kind of you know checking the place out, just scoping everything. And I actually happened to find Kerrygold, and I was about to just get on my knees and start bowing down to the massive golden <laughs> box of butter that I found because I've been searching everywhere. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think there's a place where you can nitpick if you're really sensitive to the stuff and you right. really do feel like there's a difference in your body the way it responds to it. But other than that, I mean, unless you just want to stop eating butter in general or go to a farmer or just switch over to coconut oil or something like that, I'm going to keep eating Kerrygold. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Now, Roland, I'm sure as part of your routine, uh, you're eating lots of healthy fats. Um, what do you mm -hmm. think about this whole Kerrygold issue? Well, I have Kerrygold in my refrigerator right now, <laughs> and um, I typically buy it at Trader Joe's. And we, I don't think we go through quite as much of it as, as some people do, Right. but um, our local Sprouts, which is sort of like a Whole Foods-style market out here, has, for a while, they had another brand that we thought was even, that tasted even better, and it never came out and said grass-fed on the label, it said pastured and allowed to roam and never confined, had all these things that didn't say grass-fed. So I don't know if grass-fed when it comes to butter is a legal term or not, but we were confident enough in where this other butter came from that we were eating that because it, it, tasted, it tasted good, it had a, a good color to it. And so we weren't even 100% confident there. Now, I'm like sort of like a 90, 10, or 80, 20 kind of a guy when it comes to my diet. Yep. I've, I've sort of the bulletproof stomach. So if a little <laughs> bit of something sneaks through, I don't have like, I don't, I don't, I'm not like spending the night in the bathroom or anything right. like that. So I'm of the philosophy that I don't need to, I mean, if I, I can pick a food that's not perfect and, and still be fine versus worry, I think, I think, when you worry so much that every food needs to be perfect, your cortisol and stress levels are going to go up so much more, and that's going to cause right. so much harm than a little bit of, of whatever coming through. The first, it's got to be fed to the cow, and then it's got to be, you know, it's it's got to go through a lot of a lot of stages. Yep. By the time it gets diluted down to you, um, that stress is going to cause so much more. Well, so much more. And I think orthorexia is a very real and present danger in this community that we have to avoid. Uh, I think at all costs, because that's going to destroy any kind of momentum that this movement has of moving forward. Because if people, it's kind of like, and, and I'm a Christian, and so it's kind of like telling people, you have to be perfect before you can become a Christian. Well, that's not the way it works. You, co you come to, to God in the way that you are, and then you kind of uh, grow from there. And I, and I see people coming to you know, like the paleo or low carb kind of template for their diet from the sad diet. Yeah, you eat crappy now, but we're trying to move you in that right direction. And all of us are continually moving in that right direction. 
Yeah, none of us are perfect. And I, I love looking at it that way and how just, you know, small changes, you, you have to start somewhere. I mean, this is why I hate when people start new diets on January 1st. Well, I, I don't hate that people get healthy. You know, I think if you're going to do it <laughs> on January 1st, fine. <laughs> but I just don't think it needs to be put off until January 1st right. or until Monday. Or I think that just doing the best that you can now and making those choices every single day and realizing that you're not perfect and you can only, you can just do the best that you can. And we're all going to fail. We're humans and we can't expect perfectionism. So I think that's a really good point that you bring up. So I, I uh, lost weight starting on January 1st. Uh, so I'm, I'm not legitimate. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. Why don't you take us to the next health headline? Yeah, this next health headline is one of many that talked about how just last month in August, the first test tube ground beef was served in London. You? And yeah, this article had mm-hmm. 8,000 shares, 409 comments. You know, I tweeted this to my followers and none of them said they'd eat it. Not one. There, a lot of people are calling this, um, this, the Frankenburger. Frankenburger. <laughs> I would like to ask Roland what he thinks about that. Tastes like chicken. Well, it probably. <laughs> uh, now, first of all, if somebody offered one me, offered one to me, I would try it. Because I'm curious, what, I'm curious about the texture and all that. For a quarter yeah. million pounds, though, <laughs> they say it's a slippery texture, similar to scallops. <laughs> That's just when it's raw. Oh, yeah. Okay. It says once it's cooked, oh. it's no longer gray, and it oh, looks okay, more okay. more that makes like it way meat. Better. Okay. So yeah, so <laughs> so I think I would prefer if somebody put it on the plate, like handed it to me, bunless, of course, um, already cooked, just so I could experience it like that but you know i don't think it's something that i would really look forward to i would be curious about it i think the i don't think they do a very good job of explaining why we would need to do this because i think that that i think they miss they've missed all of the studies and articles and statements from people showing how grass-fed pastured animals yeah um, provides so much, use up so much less energy than the the traditional. I guess it's not even traditional. The way, the way we have raised cattle for the last you know fifty years, which is very wasteful and uses a lot of energy and creates a lot of waste and a lot of pollution. So if you if we compare it to this new this proposal that they're making of this uh, the test tube meat. Compared to grass-fed meat, I'd be curious to see how it stands up. Now, I am sort of excited because I'm like a big Star Trek fan and a big fan that's hopefully someday will be traveling through space. Uh, that's right. Oh, Jimmy's got a theremin. Um, but what? Um, so, I think if we start to colonize the moon or Mars or go on long trips in space, having a way to create things like this out of raw energy, which is basically going to be free in space is is a valuable thing to have. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So Evan, one of the issues that people have been talking about is, you know, this test tube burger having the potential to solve world hunger. Do you think that (laughs) this would help at all? Absolutely not. I'll tell you when I drove across the country, there is a lot of free space out there. Mm -hmm. And we have nothing to worry about. And, you know, I don't know which way, uh, like Roland was mentioned, I don't know what way they actually intend to, like, make this thing move forward or if it's just kind of a, you know, a little prototype or whatever. But we have no 
real need to really try to switch to this. I've been paying attention a lot to the Savory Institute, which if any of the listeners haven't, they should look into it, which is basically just the idea that we need to put all the buffalo and the bison back out on our open ranges and just let them roam and they will take care of the, you know, it'll restore the ecosystem. I think that's what we really need to focus on rather than focusing on trying to make a lab burger. I think it's just kind of creepy and, you know, science is getting in the way of nature. Just let nature be the teacher of how the food system should run. Mm-hmm. I like that opinion. And Jimmy, what do you think about all the people fighting for animal rights that think this is the solution? Well, and the guy that paid for this was one of the co-founders of Google. Um, Sergey Brin, and and he put out the money for this. You know, in U.S. dollars, it was three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for one burger. So I'm not sure what we're trying to prove here. If it costs that much money to make, um, how are we solving world hunger? It seems like resources could be better used uh, in other ways. You know, uh, making sustainable farms uh, more prevalent and using that land that Evan was just talking about. In a much more, uh, I guess, humane way. Yeah, I mean, the the vegans are always going to have their, whatever their agenda is. I think at the end of the day, we need to look at this from a pragmatic perspective and say, hey, what's going to work best to not only maximize the ability to make the foods that people need, uh, but making them healthy at the same time? I think if we, you know, focus on more farms, that's going to be a whole heck of a lot better way to invest those resources than making a quarter million pound, $325,000 hamburger. Mm, I love that point of view. You know, I agree. And I think that from a long-term perspective, not that I'm like, not that I'm campaigning to turn vegans to um, omnivores, but I think a lot of the, a lot of the reason that vegans are so adamant or so passionate about it is because of the the poor treatment of right. most modern day animals. Right. And so I think if so, I mean, once they're in, once they're sort of in that mindset, I do think that a lot of them still are. Like, hey, we shouldn't eat meat at all. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't hunt. We shouldn't fish. We shouldn't do all these other things that are natural. So I think if we could get back more to our roots, I think yep. it would take maybe a generation or two of people seeing animals treated more humanely, the way that they are sort of naturally supposed to be raised, and as strange as it sounds, humanely slaughtered. That eventually the that passion will sort of wane a little bit and we'll get back more towards um i you know what i'm saying i i i I just think it's a generational thing i think there's we've mistreated animals for such a long time that we that the people who have done that have caused the the passion this passion in the vegan community and they live in a vacuum they assume that all animals are treated in that manner and yet uh, you know, so many of us in the paleo low carb community, we're choosing those better meats that are humanely raised and humanely slaughtered. Um, you know, I, I think that's the big difference. And yet the vegan mindset is, well, they're all treated poorly. Well, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think Evan would agree with just bringing everything back to just natural. You know, what's natural? This this really isn't natural at all. no. Yeah. I mean, we get like another thing that I was just thinking about today is that we look at cities and we talk about cities and just basically our, you know, our new 
our new way of living and we look at the land and we're trying to figure out like why we're running out of fresh water, for example, or why all these cities such as Austin, where I'm at, is in such a drought. And then you look and just imagine, just kind of close your eyes for a second and you take yourself back even say 300 years. You don't even have to go back to paleo times and it would have been just nothing but kind of like opened land for animals to roam and stuff. Not saying that we should just, you know, unleash the cows in downtown, you know, that'd be pretty funny, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so, you know, just any change is better than no change. And I think just, it all goes back to just trying to support the people that are busting their ass to try to, um, make this, this food movement actually be sustainable because we don't have too much time to play around anymore. He said the A word on low carb conversations. So let's move along to <laughs> the family next- <laughs> friendly show. <laughs> yes, we're going to have sorry to sorry about uh, that. Uh, uh, Kevin, if you're listening to this back, uh, please bleep out the. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so let's go to the next health headline. <laughs> It's all good. We're messing with you, Evan. We're having a good time. Nice knowing you, Evan. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Evan Brand kicked if, off low carb conversation. As if, yeah, as if you'll ever come back. No, I'm just kidding. So the next health headline comes from the Atlantic: How junk food can end obesity. Now, here's where an expletive can come in because they're saying that the demonization of processed food may be dooming many to obesity and disease. Could embracing the drive-thru make us healthier? And it goes on and on through this whole, David Friedman is the uh, columnist on this one, uh, making some very peculiar points, I suppose is the way to put it, Roland. Uh, What did you think about this one? Well, to be honest, I didn't really understand... I didn't really understand his point. He, I mean, he was a lot of, it was a lot of talking out of both sides. Yeah. And I didn't understand how, I don't understand how, I mean, I think in our culture today, we don't demonize things that should be demonized and we forgive things that, you know, that are unforgivable. Right. And we're, everyone's look, looking, just looking the other way. And not that I want people to be like, fat shamed or fast food shamed or anything like that, but these foods aren't healthy and we need to find a way to gently guide people away from them. I don't have a, I don't have a fundamental problem with food, foods being manufactured and made tasty and delicious, but I have a problem when with companies that try to tell people that they, that these manufactured foods are healthier than they are or mm-hmm. less unhealthy than they are, I guess I would say. Yeah. So Cassie, what did you think about this one? Did you feel like, uh, Roland, that it was kind of all over the place or did you feel like uh, you knew what the point of, point of it all was? Well, I think the one of the first bolded quotes kind of sums up his point when he says, everyone's mother and brother has been telling them to eat more fruit and vegetables forever and the numbers are only getting worse. We're not going to solve this problem by telling people to eat unprocessed food. And I really thought this article was stuck on the outdated mindset that fat is bad for you by Mm. saying that the science is simple. Fat carries twice as many calories as protein and carbs. And, you know, he calls a serving of fat a calorie bomb. Um, And at the point, you know, the main point in regard to calories is that obese Americans consume too many of them and are placing calories from Whoppers and French fries with calories from brown sugar and bacon or something. It's not the answer. I just, the whole calorie myths and calories in, calories out is what we need. That's just frustrating. And I felt like that's, that was the author's mindset. Hmm. Yeah. When I read this, I looked at it and I was just kind of like, 
good try because like if we actually talk about some of the specifics that was in it, the changes that they were talking about rolling out were the egg white delight, mm-hmm. which mm. is the less fatty version. And then, oh, they changed the refined flour to whole grain flour. And then the other one was the premium McWraps. And then they were just changing those to rice vinegar instead of, uh, I guess, the high fructose corn syrup sauce that normally comes on it. Well, and the next article that we're talking about is um, kind of the opposite. It's like the argument to uh, this, how junk food can end obesity article. And it's called The Myth of Healthy Processed Food. And Melanie, the author, kind of just, you know, she talks about how David Freeman and that Atlantic's article, um, How Junk Food Can End Obesity, how he talks about, he's really making the case as to why the food industry um, is, the, is the answer, you know, and how his views are going to, you know, that people are not going to put down their fries and start eating kale and grilled salmon and that we need to meet them where they're at. And she makes a lot of, a lot of, I think, really good points in this article just about why uh, his argument just really doesn't hold up. I mean, Jimmy, what did you think about this kind of counter argument? Yeah, we we put it out there about this whole, uh, and he talks about the egg McMuffin delight, <laughs> um, th- that it's made of egg whites only. And I, I think it, it's a popular theme song on this show, <laughs> low calorie and uh, fat has yeah. twice the calorie. So if we cut the fat, you know, I, I, I think in this whole discussion, we've got to get off of necessarily saying it's about the calories. And I think that's what's dooming us. We're not looking at the mm-hmm. quality of food and how those foods are responding to us. Uh, you know, a, a, a highly processed food, I'm sorry, it just cannot be a healthy choice. It, it, it just can't. I know what that would do to my blood sugar. I know it would make my ketones go to pot. None of the positive health benefits that I see and many other people are seeing, uh, it would not exist if these processed foods that people like David Friedman in that Atlantic article we just talked about, you know, had their say. Um, I, I do think Melanie hits it on on the head here saying, look, we got to we got to take a look at this from a really objective perspective and realize it's not really about those calories anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if more people would read books like Cholesterol Clarity and The Real Food Reset by Roland and listen to Evan's Not Just Paleo podcast, I think education <laughs> is a huge part in this, too. What do you think, Roland? Well, I just don't understand. I mean, this this egg white thing is really frustrating to me because even Dr. Oz says it's OK to eat egg yolks. So. Okay, so if Dr. Oz is saying it, he's why, on board why? with it. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are the? I mean, these people are like, all of a sudden, are they really that far behind? Like, welcome to the '90s. This is when these the whole egg yolk thing and egg whites. I mean, I remember when I remember when my my stepfather had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and he started buying these tubs of you know, uh, of egg beaters <laughs> and using salt substitute on them and, you know, frying them in margarine. And, you know, nothing changed. His, his cholesterol was still just as high. His blood pressure was still just as high. And, you know, over the years, we found that the cholesterol has really, you know, the whole argument about whether your cholesterol matters or not aside, we found that the cholesterol in our, the, in our food has very little to do with the cholesterol, um, you know, in our blood. I've heard of um, that. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're so smart. And so it's really frustrating to me that 20 years later, suddenly they're like, oh, we've, we're giving you what you want. And here's the egg white delight. Now, the funny thing, when I went into this McDonald's for an iced tea, mind you, um, and they had, it was right after the egg white delight had launched. And on the counter, they had a display of like a, of an egg white delight that had been made that morning and was sitting there. And right in front of it, they had these two styrofoam eggs, like those little ones that you make projects with for little kids. And um, I took a picture of these things and it, because it was seemed like so ironic that they would use styrofoam eggs to explain what egg whites are, <laughs> because that's pretty much what these things are worth. Yeah. Might as well eat the styrofoam. Well, exactly. all the billboards I've seen lately have had McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese breakfast bagel or something like that and I, I i can't help but try to decide if it's better or worse than the egg white delight <laughs> that's funny because here in the south that's all you see is the egg white delight so i guess they're targeting specific areas for the quote-unquote healthier version yeah maybe they're trying to go a little bit more paleo but it's not quite there i don't think yeah I think the best comment for that um, How Junk Food Can End Obesity article was one that said, this article was as unsatisfying as the food it promotes. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's what I thought. Did we get Evan's comments on the myth of healthy processed food yet? Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with you guys. Just, um, I think they're just trying to, they're trying to cut corners and they're basically still trying to serve food out of McDonald's. But it's kind of like, that's, I don't consider that a food establishment, but we're kind of like, hey, we are a food establishment. Look, let, look what we'll do. But it's just, it's too late for me. And I just don't know. I don't think they can turn it around. Well, speaking of egg whites and food establishments, the next health headline is actually a press release from Sonic. Do you guys have Sonics where you live? We do. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, they're pretty big here in the South, too. And they have come out with a brand new, get this, egg white <laughs> option. Now, at Sonic, they serve breakfast all day long, Evan, and they have now the ability for guests to substitute a fluffy egg white in any breakfast menu offering with eggs including a wide variety of burritos and ever popular breakfast toaster sandwiches so they've gotten on the bandwagon i put this in cholesterol clarity how more and more restaurants as roland you were just talking about they're catering to what they think the market wants we've been told cholesterol and and saturated fat is what's clogging our arteries and killing us and yet it's just the opposite. It's these very egg whites that are the problem. What, what did you think about this new offering and really any of these fast food restaurants that are offering egg white options, Evan? Well, I think that the whole argument is it's kind of silly. So it's like even if you are eating an egg white versus the egg yolk, the full egg, you're still eating a probably horribly treated Qual and poor quality egg in general. Yep. So I almost just tell people, I mean, even if you are eating the yolks or you're having the debate with somebody about the egg yolks or egg whites, it's like, man, you're still eating those eggs that are just like we talked about on our podcast together. You said they're basically just toxic. Yep. So there's no way around it. There's no safe alternative. There's no safe way to eat fast food is, is kind of what it sums up to. Oh, but Cassie, egg whites are a good source of protein, which will help you maintain your energy levels throughout the day. And even better yet, they contain no cholesterol and are a good choice for individuals trying to reduce their cholesterol intake. Blech. Yeah, because the problem here, obviously, is we don't want to have a really low cholesterol. And if anyone 
wants to learn more about that, you can read Jimmy's book and listen to our podcast from last week. But I just hate how, you know, wh- what's wrong with egg yolks? I mean, all of the nutrients are in, well, a lot of the nutrients are in the egg yolk. And, you know, if we can get past the fact that fat is not bad for us and realize that fat's actually good for us, there's a little bit of fat in the egg yolk too, and that's good for us. I just, I feel like I'm busting this myth all the time because yeah. people are still believing it. And you wonder why? Because places like Sonic are coming out with an egg white option and McDonald's is coming out with an egg white option. So why would they be coming out with stuff like that and promoting it as healthy if it wasn't healthy? I mean, they're all on the same page. So why would we be eating egg yolks? I think, I feel like that's what people are, are thinking and yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah. My co-author, Dr. Eric Westman was on Ask the Low Carb Experts last week and he said, think about it this way, an egg turns into a whole chicken. So think about the, it's basically an egg is that potential for making this whole chicken. How much more nutrient dense can you be, Roland? (laughs) Oh, that's how much, how much more dense can you be? Yeah. Here's the question. Yeah, duh. Mm. What Um, about the protein? Sorry, I was just thinking about this still. Roland, do you remember, do you know how much, pro- I feel like egg yolks have protein in them as well. Maybe they just do. like there's, a gram less than all, white. Yeah, there's like a, like a, I think a large, like a large egg, I think has three per white and, or t- four per white and three for the yolk. And what people get all hung up on is it has three grams of fat too. And in cholesterol. The so, exactly. But, um, it's, it's this this whole thing is just crazy. And on their press release, it said we're giving customers what they've asked for. Right. I find it hard to believe that customers are real. You know, Sonic customers. I mean, nothing against Sonic customers, but I find it hard to believe that they don't know if only you had egg whites. <laughs> um, same with McDonald's. If only you had egg whites. I don't. I don't buy it for a minute. I think what happens is that they look at the marketing and say, "Hey, what can we do to get a few more people in, and hopefully they'll bring their family." And whether they order the egg whites once they get in there. Um, or whether they order something else, we don't care because their real goal is to sell the high profit items. And um, these things are like a lost leader. It's like, hey, this is, it's like a banner saying, hey, we're healthy. So come on in and then they're going to order a Coke or French fries or hash browns or whatever. All these things that cost them almost nothing to make and they make just a ton of profit on these things. Yeah. yeah I, I wanted to, oh, sorry, Jimmy, but uh, I wanted to say that the easy way to end all of this confusion and all of the conversations that you have to have with your family who's still maybe not switched to a more paleo lifestyle, just tell them simply if an advertisement for what you eat or drink has ever been published or aired, you probably shouldn't be eating it. I don't think I've ever seen a strawberry commercial or a commercial for drinking clean spring water maybe on your all side of the woods but not on mine at least eating lard i've never seen one for that yeah mm-hmm. yeah what i was going to say was they have um they call this the better for you menu options so there's already kind of this subliminal message of oh well this is better for you and and in the release it talked about talked about in true sonic style instead of offering just one or two egg white options we deliberately chose to let the guests enjoy egg whites in any of our breakfast items giving even more opportunities for customization and variety and our guests can lose the yolks without losing a bit of flavor I'm just going, okay, are they trying to convince themselves at this point? Because that sounds like a bunch of BS to me. What what is the flavor they're adding back in? Yeah, there's no flavor in whites. 
That's what I want to know. I mean, egg yolks have a ton of flavor and egg whites taste like pretty much nothing. And by calling them better for you, it just right away, I think of skinny lattes and how just the term skinny (laughs) makes people, I was actually talking to someone this morning, I'll leave the person unnamed, but they ordered a skinny latte at Starbucks. And I said, why do you order the skinny latte? And, and we, you know, we'd talked about artificial sweeteners before. And this person said, well, yeah, it's one of those things that you know, I just do it because skinny, I don't know, when I, when I don't want to think about it, I just see skinny latte and that's what I order instead of, you know, we talked about better options like our coffee with just a little bit of heavy cream and things like that. But yep. it's, I think it's one of those things that when people just, it's what they're drawn to and better for you. Like, why would they lie and tell you it's better for you when it's not? Well, mm. they do. And actually, it kind of brings us into our next article talking about all these menu options. Um, our next article talks about some, the headline is some school districts quit healthier lunch program. And um, this was just from August 29th. So the end of last month. And uh, there, you know, what's happening is I guess many students are refusing the healthier meals packed with whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. And the cafeterias were actually losing money. Now, Jimmy, you know, we kind of talked about the picture uh, earlier that you had tweeted about the hospital meal. I mean, yep. what do you do? You th- how do you think these compare to the types of food, the types of meals that are healthier that they're serving in hospitals or that's, you know, supposedly healthy? Yeah, I, I it's it's horrible. And it's even much worse than this. Even since I, I sent you this headline earlier, I just got another lady and we may save it to talk about in next week's show. But yeah. she said that her. Uh, <laughs> Daughter, five-year-old daughter, was oh, served yeah. for breakfast a Twix bar and a cheese stick. That was the breakfast they served her at school. We'll save that. We'll let that be a teaser for next week's show. We'll definitely, yeah, we'll we'll definitely lead off sure. with that oh, one man. next week. But that's a really good one. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. It's already a healthier breakfast than most of the people are getting at the school. Uh, uh. So well, it's debatable. I think this whole idea that we have to mandate what kids are eating from a federal level Leave that to the local areas. Let local schools go out to their local farms and connect with them. I think they would be highly willing to work with these schools, make it affordable so it fits within their budgets. You can make kid-friendly food that they will eat that isn't just pure garbage and make it very nutrient-dense and make it so that they will pay attention in class. If you feed them well, you know, if you feed them adequate amounts of fat, the, the unfortunate thing, Cassie, is they are following the whole U.S. dietary guidelines in developing these meals. And you and I know that that's impossible to try to make a healthy meal using those as your template. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of my best friends is a teacher and she is so frustrated because she, you know, is planning her nutrition unit and she's got she's got to go by those by those guidelines. I mean, right. that's the basis of where all of our education starts. And if something, if things don't change there, then it's really hard to be making these changes from the outside when the core of what we are being taught and, you know, a lot of people believe aren't changing. And I guess, you know, Roland, I've been curious to see what you're going to say, because I know you're pretty excited to talk about this one. 
Yeah, I am. And I haven't mentioned this before, but uh, my wife and I are both um, on Chef Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution um, ambassador team. So my wife and I sort of work in our local area here in Orange County, California, to to raise money for uh, to to bring nutrition awareness uh, back into schools. And I don't know if you this whole article reminds me of, you know, a a couple of years ago, Jamie had a, a program on television. I don't know if you guys saw it, where he went into schools here in Los, not in Orange County, but up in up in Los Angeles County, and tried to. He sort of got permission to try to rework their the kids' diets and make them healthier, and try to find some some foods that that they enjoyed, but would be but would be healthy. And first of all, he had a lot of trouble. I mean, he had trouble from a couple perspectives. He got a lot of pushback from the local administrators who um, were getting who had friends in the local food industry who wanted to sell certain things. That's when they wanted to get the local pizzas and the chicken nuggets and all those kind of things from these food companies that were local. But also he had a lot of problems because it's really hard to produce um, locally raised food from the local area that meets the federal requirements for protein, you know, whole grains, what they consider healthy fats, not, you know, restricted sodium, restricted saturated fat. It's really hard to meet those combinations. And that's why some of these, these uh, processed food companies went out because they make the foods according to the formula. It's, it's very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And Evan, I was curious what you thought about the part in the article that, um, you know, they kind of talk about how kids are resorting to going over to the convenience store across the block from school and buying junk food. And I guess that's kind of ironic that here they're downsizing the amount of food that kids are getting, but kids are just going to kind of fill up with the junk food anyway. I mean, how, how do you think that can be solved? Yeah, well, uh, before I tell you how I think it could be solved, it's kind of funny. I guess I feel a little bit of guilt now because in middle school, um, I, school was always easy for me. So I just kind of had to figure out other ways to entertain myself. So I was the convenience store in middle school. I'd stuff my backpack <laughs> full of Skittles and Starburst and Snickers and potato chips and buy them wholesale and then make like 20 bucks a day in school selling all these things that people would literally go crazy for. I'm telling you, you school. You were a distributor. <laughs> you were the yeah. addict filler. You filled the addicts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, did you eat but the profits? <laughs> Uh, I don't know what I did with the profits. I can't remember, but uh, I just remember just how crazy people would go for that stuff. So something I was thinking as a solution is we have to try to be aware of our children, which I don't have any, but for the listeners that do have children, be aware of what they're exposed to when it comes to advertising and media, because there's so many things that children are influenced. I know some people probably come up or their children come up to them and say something and you're like, where did you even hear that? Or where did you come up with that? So I think that uh, we just have to explain you know, change what they're exposed to if possible, or maybe I can get together with you all and make, and we can make some viral YouTube video, music video about how cool it is to eat carrots or something. I mean, I'm not sure. Well, don't you think if, if kids were actually filling up on the right types of fat and quality protein, that maybe they wouldn't have those cravings for junk food and sugar? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If we could just start every kid on bacon and eggs in the morning, oh, yeah. organic eggs, of course, then I think we would make the the first realistic step to changing everything. If we could just get that into the school breakfast program. I remember yeah. it wasn't too many years ago when I was in the school program. The breakfast and everything was just a joke. It was, you know, French toast sticks and waffles. So I think just hopefully adding some sort of quality meat in there would be my first step. What, no Twix yeah. and cheese sticks? <laughs> Nope. <laughs> no twigs and cheese sticks. Well, and Jimmy, what I was I was going to ask you yeah. what you thought because you know I, I know that you posted the um, article that we're going to talk about next week yep. on your Facebook um, about the Twix for breakfast. I know some people commented, and a lot of people will have the view that well, kids just shouldn't be getting their food at school then. Like parents can just take control. But some of the people that are dearest to my heart were on those school lunch programs because they came from poor families. And the only time they would actually get a decent meal, if you want to call it decent, was at school. They would eat breakfast and lunch at school and they'd be lucky if they got a slice of bread with peanut butter for dinner at night. So, I mean, what what do you think about that in terms of, you know, when people aren't eating, you know, when maybe their parents won't provide them with, quality food at home. I mean, where's the solution for that? Well, and the travesty is they are neglecting, as you said, where's the healthy fats until we can change nutrition policy, which people say, well, why do we worry about what the government says about dietary guidelines every five years? That's not important because we don't have to pay attention to them. Well, it's not about you and me paying attention to them. It's about this very issue. School lunches. Yeah, the next generation of kids. That's right. And and it's not just the kids. It's people on welfare. They're able to use the money uh, to go buy, uh, you know, with food stamps, go buy specific foods. And it's usually those really cheapo carb-based foods that fit within the food pyramid. Yeah. It, 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 it really matters. This is why I get fired up about going and trying to get people to testify before Capitol Hill because we need to make our voices heard. That is unacceptable. I'm sorry, I don't have kids, but I love every one of those kids out there who are being forced to have to eat something that I know is going to make them less attentive, less able to learn well in class, um, less able to be the kind of student and then eventually productive adult in our society. Let's give them the right nutrition now so that they can you know, live to their fullest extent when they become an adult. Amen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Cassie. No, you go ahead, Evan. Uh, when you talk about the importance of the future, I mean, I'm just looking at the younger generation. I'm a little bit closer to the younger generation than you all are. And I'm just looking at it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like we have to do make change. So Jimmy, I'm glad you brought up the bigger picture rather than just, you know, you and I'm nitpicking and saying, you know, this kind of butter over this, just really being like, we have to try to tap into some of the mainstream outlets for this stuff and actually try to get some stuff written down on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and take the next step of activism in this because, I mean, it really is scary. We look at the levels of stress and um, just psychotic episodes and the way that children behave. And, you know, Hannah, my fiance, she works in child care and she sees the kids that eat the organic food, the parents that bring in the organic food versus the kids that eat the normal food. And she said they throw so many more temper tantrums. They don't learn as fast. Their speech is not as good as the others. They uh, they don't sleep as well. They wake up grumpy versus rested. I mean, it's just amazing to actually have firsthand experience on what the changes are actually doing to our, you know, kind of innocent children. It really is crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I was Skyping with one of my interns right before this, and she was saying that it's so funny because everything I'm being taught in school right now to be a dietitian is that exact opposite of what you teach me. She's like, even how I'm being taught that, you know, milk is so important and that whole grains are so important. She's like, I feel like the foundation of everything I'm being taught is the complete opposite from the foundation of what you're teaching, which is the healthy fats and the quality protein and the vegetables and fruits. And it's still, I mean, I guess it shouldn't amaze us because that's, we know that that's what's being taught out there, but that is really what dietitians are being taught in school right now. And no wonder why people aren't getting healthier when that's still the foundation of everything. And that's a problem. Yes, it is. That's, and that's why one of the reasons why to, we have the show. And people need to take back control of their own health, which is yes. kind of what we talked about in cholesterol clarity, hopefully loud and clear. Yeah. Well, guys, we are completely out of time. It's been a pleasure having Evan Brand from Not Just Paleo. Again, give us your website, Evan. Yes, sir. It's not just paleo.com. I wrote a couple good things. I guess the one thing that I would like everybody to go look at is something I wrote called the Paleo Household Guide. Yeah. And that's just something you can check out. I wrote kind of the origins and the history of kind of the use of certain herbs and spices and nice. put, you know, put the reasoning behind why we are actually doing what we are doing. So if you just want a little refresher, you can look for that on my website. And then uh, also I have a newsletter. I wrote a little quick start guide to try to hurry up and get Get people to sleep better so that you can start thinking better to comprehend all this information we're throwing at you. Um, and you can get that by signing up for my newsletter. And then I have the podcast, which Cassie's been on and we had an awesome time talking and Jimmy, you've been on twice now. So I guess uh, Roland will have to be on in the future too. So uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah Roland it, is at the fitinc.com and actually Roland, you're also on Facebook and Twitter, Roland Denzel. And Roland also sent me a recipe that we'll have a link to on our lowcarbconversations.com website. It's for a Bulgarian chopped salad. Go ahead and Sounds talk about it. Go ahead. Go, yeah. Go ahead and talk about the, the recipe. That'd be great. Yeah. Roland, you want to just tell us a little bit about this recipe? Oh sure, I mean it's uh it, it's really simple, and uh, you know I've, I was in Bulgaria a couple of years ago. My wife is Bulgarian, and I went to visit uh, her um, and hang out with her for a, for a month. And when I was there, I just was loving all of the super simple salads they have. And most of them were just, it was, it was so simple that there were no lettuce. They're not like a big lettuce culture. So it's really just chopped tomato, chopped cucumber. And it's those smaller pure Persian cucumbers and chopped peppers of whatever sort of variety, the, the sweet peppers, not the, not the spicy ones. And then they would just top these things with, with, uh, with either with parsley, some feta cheese, maybe some, uh, Actually, they used um, sunflower oil mostly there, but they, you know, also you could get um, olive oil and a little bit of vinegar and some salt. And they were just so simple. The key is the vegetables there were grown at the local markets. The Bulgarian culture is very market focused, and you could go to what we call a farmer's market. Every day. The market was there every day. Every day the farmers would bring in the tomatoes. Every day they would bring in the cucumbers, the squash, the fresh, fruit, and everything. Yeah. And it was just so fresh. So there's really no... Uh, so if you want a little taste of, uh, of Bulgaria and or the surrounding uh, the Balkan countries over there, get yourself the best tomatoes you can find, uh, some nice cucumbers and some really colorful uh, bell peppers. Um, chop them up, top them with some parsley and a little bit of a feta cheese if you're a cheese eater and um, let it sit for about half an hour so the juices kind of merge together and then you're really good. It's that simple. 
Well, I bet you could top it with some protein too, maybe some steak or chicken or shrimp. And then you've got a balanced meal. I'm always telling people to make sure they're getting plenty of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. So I think this could be part of a really balanced meal. Well, you know, it wasn't in Bulgaria. They're big into the grilled meats. They call them meatballs, but they're not really meatballs. They're more like a, it's more like a long, you know, a long, I think it's called souvlaki in like Greece. It's like where it's a long, skinny ground beef, like a kebab kind of a thing. And they, they would either have those or grilled meat or grilled sausage at, at basically every meal. And those are pretty fresh and fresh too. So they would just have that on the side with a little chopped salad. That was like the perfect lunch I had almost every day. Awesome. It was easy to eat there. It was easy to eat out there because you could always get what you wanted. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thanks both of you for being on our show today. We, Jimmy and I had a lot of, we always have a lot of fun with our guests, but we really did have fun with both of you. It's nice when you got podcasters on that sound yeah. good. So. <laughs> yeah, they sound good too. <laughs> My wife said, don't forget to put on the headset. Yeah. That it does make a difference. A difference. It, it really does. does. Well, our website is lowcarbconversations.com, and you can find Jimmy at livinlavitalowcarb.com and me at dietitiancassie.com, and we are a listener-supported show, so yeah. if you like what you hear, please support us and donate. We really appreciate your donations, and it does take donations to keep the show going, so we won't have to have as long of a break as we had this summer. And guys, it really doesn't take a whole lot. We have so many listeners. I was telling Cassie this uh, off the air last week. You know, if everybody that listened just gave a buck, we would never have to ever ask for donation. Just one buck a year. If everybody that listened right now and we could sustain this and pay all the production fees and, you know, my producer does a really good job. He does all three of my podcasts and he's worth every penny um, to to do this and get this out there. So, you know, definitely go over to lowcarbconversations.com. we got a please donate now button that really does help us keep this going. I, I do think it's important that we get opinions out there that are educated on all these health headlines because unfortunately people are all confused and they just don't know what to think about these. So, Help us keep the clarity going, so to speak, by uh, donating and helping us uh, continue to do this podcast for many more uh, months and years to come. Instead of buying your next egg white delight, <laughs> turn around and spend that money here. It's going to keep things going for another year. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. And you can always leave us a review in iTunes. We like reading those as well. Well, episode 88 is in the books, Miss Cassie. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again next Friday. See you next Friday. This is Jimmy Moore. And this is Dietitian Cassie. Thanks so much for listening to Low Carb Conversations with Jimmy Moore and Friends. Visit our website, lowcarbconversations.com, for complete show notes for this episode. And check us out on iTunes and leave us a review. If you'd like to be a guest on Low Carb Conversations with Jimmy Moore and Friends, shoot me an email at cassie at dietitiancassie.com. Thanks for listening. Disc of Light.